Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 306 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, guys, it's here or almost here or just happened 10 million downloads. Man, that is like the last thing I was thinking of when I launched this podcast just over five years ago, but you guys have made it happen by sharing and telling your friends and being such enthusiastic supporters of what we're trying to do here on the podcast, which is bring you uh, backstage interviews with some of the best people in leadership today. 10 million downloads. Here's how we're celebrating. Okay. Head on over to leadlikeneverbefore.com forward slash 10 million. That's one zero million. Uh, Because to celebrate, we're doing two things. First of all, big grand prize. Uh, I'm going to pick five of you and fly you to Nashville, Tennessee to spend a day with me and we'll do some leadership coaching and consultation in person, all expenses paid. Would love to host you in Nashville. The way to do that is to head on over to leadlikeneverbefore.com forward slash 10 million and you can, well, enter there. And then on the day we actually hit 10 million, we're going to give away a thousand dollars worth of Starbucks. Yep. In a 24-hour window, $1,000 worth of Starbucks just to say thank you to our listeners. Best way to access that is to follow me on social. It will be on Instagram, Twitter, and or Facebook. So I'm Kerry Newhoff on Instagram, C. Newhoff on Twitter and Facebook. Guys, just thank you for this. And thank you for sharing the podcast, telling your friends, letting people know about it. And here's to 20 million. How does that sound? Hey, today's episode is brought to you by the Red Letter Challenge and by the High Impact Workplace. So Red Letter Challenge, man, I know you've got messages to prepare and I know you've got a congregation to lead. And if you haven't yet checked out the Red Letter Challenge, uh, today's your day. Over 60,000 people have already completed it. Pastors have used it and churches that have used the Red Letter Challenge, which is a turnkey campaign, messages, graphics, small group curriculum, now a kids ministry curriculum, all done for you. Churches that have completed it have not only seen weekend service growth, but small group attendance growth by an average of 40%, which is pretty incredible. So this is completely turnkey. And uh, you will get a discount because you listen to this podcast. So you can get between 10 and 40% off. And whether your church is small or very large, it doesn't really matter. You can start with as few as 10 copies or get a thousand or more. Just head on over to redletterchallenge.com forward slash carry before it's too late. And uh, that'll be a 40 day challenge for you and your church next year. Speaking of challenges, hey, have you noticed that there is a talent war going on for young leaders? Uh, You're going to meet two of them today in the podcast. Uh, My guests are Sarah Piercy and Dylan Smith. So I met Sarah about a decade ago. Well, actually long before that, but I hired her just over a decade ago when she was 22. And we worked together at Conexus Church for a few years. And then when I stepped out of the lead pastor role there to focus on this, she joined me in the company. And so we worked together in my company, bringing you this podcast and, um, you know, all the other stuff I do in leadership. And then Dylan Smith is someone I hired a couple years ago at the age of 19. And so today on the podcast, I talked to Dylan and Sarah about their leadership in my company 
and what it's like to work together and some of the highs and some of the lows. This is like a behind the scenes backstage conversation with two of my staff members. Now, why am I having that? Well, first of all, I think they're fascinating people. Secondly, the challenges that we run into in leadership are exactly the same that most leaders run into in leadership. And uh, I wanted to have Dylan and Sarah on. Uh, We actually do another version of this conversation in a course that I'm releasing this week called The High Impact Workplace. It is the first course I have released in about 18 months. It's brand new. Uh, I've been working on this for a long time, and I'm so excited. Here's what the deal is with the high-impact workplace. Do you know there's a talent war going on for young leaders? And I run into more and more leaders who are like, I just can't keep high-capacity young leaders around. Well, actually, you can. But to do it, you've got to change because everything's changing around you. The gig economy is growing. And we talk about this in this interview today, but Sarah and Dylan could easily go out and do their own thing or join another company or start their own company. So how do I, as their boss, attract, keep, and motivate high-capacity leaders? Here's another reality, has not been my experience, but a lot of people say, you know what the problem with young leaders is? They're lazy, they're unmotivated, they want everything now. We talk about this in this interview, and we talk about it in the High Impact Workplace course. So in the course, you will get all new content, Uh, I want to set you and your team up for success to build an intergenerational workplace that young leaders will love, older leaders will love. And in the course, I'll show you why eight to four doesn't work anymore and why so many of your young leaders are pushing back against it, why the flexible workplace is the future workplace and how to lead the next generation when they don't want to sit in cubicles and in offices all day. You can learn more and get in before enrollment closes by going to the High Impact Workplace today. We have a special introductory price. I have not had a course at this price in a long time. So head on over to thehighimpactworkplace.com. While enrollment is still open, it will only be open for a short window. And now I am so thrilled to bring you my conversation with my executive assistant, Sarah Piercy, and my content manager, Dylan Smith. Here we go. Dylan and Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Good to be here. Sarah and I are together in the uh, World Headquarters studio. Dylan, you're joining us from Nebraska, correct? I am. (laughs) Okay. Can you both give us a really uh, quick introduction on who you are? Because we all work together. We're Mm -hmm. all part of this little communications company I run Mm -hmm. that does uh, the podcast, the blog, books, and all the other speaking, all the other things that I do. And our little team has grown to seven of us now plus other contractors, which is insane. Mm -hmm. But we service, uh, well, lots of leaders. Like our content that we produce gets accessed about 1.2 million times a month. Which which is is crazy. Insane. Sarah remembers when it was one time a month Mm -hmm. on a good month. Mm -hmm. Correct, Sarah? Yeah, I remember when you decided to blog in the morning. Yeah, yeah. That was like, uh, what, seven years ago? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so tell us a little bit, Sarah, we'll start with you. And then Dylan, tell us a little bit about your role on the team, because we're going to talk about high impact workplaces and some of the things we do well, some of the things we struggle with and how to create a culture that attracts and keeps young leaders. That's really what we're talking about. And you guys, Mm -hmm. I think both qualify as young leaders. I still qualify. That's great. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, you're in your thirties now, but you started with me when you were how old? 22. 22. So that counts, which is, is that how old you are, Dylan? I'm 21. 21. Okay, Dylan yeah. is still, you know, <laughs> trying to get to 22. It'll be a while, right? Yeah. But you started yeah. with me when you were 19. 
correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's definitely like, I, I don't care whose definition it is. That is young leader. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. So Sarah, how about, how about you? Tell people how we met. Yeah. Um, so we met um, when you were leading Connexus Church. And I started on staff as the first ever intern of Connexus Church. Correct. Um, right after launch. Yep. Right after I graduated from university. So the church was less than a year old. Mm-hmm. Um, and my role kind of morphed into your assistant just because I was in the right place at the right time. <laughs> no, the and, wrong uh, <laughs> place at the wrong time. You drew, you drew the so, short straw. Well, I didn't did. think I did. Well, but thank what you. happened was we looked around and there was no one else to be my assistant as lead pastor. So the lot <laughs> fell to you. Well, <laughs> so I took on the job, um, but that was 10 years ago now. So uh-huh. my, so I have been your assistant since then. Mm-hmm. And um, that role has changed and evolved over time as your um, work and influence and writing has changed and evolved over time. Mm. Um, so, so now I actually work part-time. Um, I have two little boys and um, this job gives me the flexibility to work from home and keep doing something that I love that I find really meaningful. Mm-hmm. And you and I worked on church staff for five years yes. together-ish? Yeah, more than that. Yeah. More than that, seven? Yeah. yeah, probably about seven. And then the last four years, you've been in my company working yes. for me. That's right. So when I stepped out of the lead pastor role into the founding teaching pastor role, you stepped away from church staff, although it's still your home. Your yes. husband works yep. there. Yeah. And I go there every uh, weekend. Justin's <laughs> awesome. You're there every weekend. Your boys <laughs> yep. are being raised at Connexus yes. and yes. that's our church still, but uh, we work in the company now. Yes. And you've kind of had that EA role, but it has, it's like you've had 10 different jobs. Yeah. Is that it fair? has changed so much. Because mm-hmm. yeah. you used to do everything. Mm-hmm. And now what, what is your main day-to-day responsibility? Um, helping you manage your time and energy, um, your calendar um, and public inbox, um, mm-hmm. a lot of public interface. So once in a while projects come my way and, you know, we tag team together with a great team of people that we've got. So it sounds so dumb, but like calendar management is a oh, big it's huge yeah. job, it's isn't huge. it? That's yeah. insane. Yeah. I mean, I, I always did my own calendar until I don't yeah. know, a decade ago or whatever when you came along. And uh, it's just like it is a dozen or more hours a week just trying to juggle all the requests and the mm-hmm. time and travel and enough time to write, et cetera. So, and you're great at what you do. There's an episode that we did a couple of years ago on the podcast, I think yeah, I called the first it. How to, year. it was was the it first the year. first year? Yeah, was it, it was. really? It's yeah. that long ago? Yeah. We'll link to it in the show notes. I think it still works. It's like how to be a rock star assistant. And uh, we share all of uh, Sarah's tricks and tips for that, which is good. And then uh, last time Sarah had a maternity leave, which was how, was that two years ago? Year and a half ago? How uh, long Levi? Well, Levi is one and a half. So Isaac's about a year three and, and a half, half ago. Yeah. Yeah, but a year and a half ago, I needed to find someone to fill in that EA role. And this time the lot fell to you, Dylan. So pick up the story there. Yay, Dylan. (laughs) (laughs) It did. Um, Yeah. Uh, So about that time uh, we met and I came onto the company. And for that first year, I was in like um, Sarah's role as she was gone. So like my first um, year with you was in a significantly different position than where I'm at right now. Uh, Mm, but it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was, it was good. It was hard, but learning, uh, kind of from Sarah first coming in and then just learning because you, um, sometimes you don't give yourself enough credit, Carrie, but you're a really great coach of a position that you've never had. So at least I don't think that is very true. That is very true. Yeah, that's true. I've never been an assistant in any, yeah, nothing I've done could be that role. 
and 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 I can be demanding sometimes. True, fair. Yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. But you didn't really have any uh, like you didn't train as an EA. No, everything you, that I learned was coaching. You me. didn't train as yeah. an EA, Dylan. Yep. Yeah. And uh, and you stepped into that role, and it's an unlikely thing because you're you're at uh, a Christian college, and you'd never thought, oh, you know what I want to be an EA when yeah. <laughs> I grow up. So at 19, you step into this role and pick pick it up from there. What were you What were you doing? Uh, yeah, so I was doing the things that um, Sarah just kind of listed off: the calendar, the public inbox requests, the uh, just the, a lot of like working with the team and different projects and. Uh, Back then, I think it was only three of us and you on the team. So it, mm-hmm. it's grown quite a bit since then. Um, but yeah, definitely a lot of that everything role. And then after I'd been in the company for two months, um, your book launch for Didn't See It Coming came in. And uh, mm-hmm. we were, <laughs> um, it, this is just a subtle thing, you know, but uh, we realized that uh, um, we're going to need an internal lead on this, or I guess you realized it and yeah. said, hey, Dylan. Do you uh you want to lead the book launch as it goes live? And, uh, <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> it's, it's it's pretty. We've done a lot of dumb things over the years, and looking back, that was a really smart move. But I mean, like you know, you look at okay, how much money do I have available? Uh, who do I have on the team? You know, and you'd had two months under your belt, so it's like, how would you like to um, lead a book launch for a national book release? Which yeah. seems perfectly logical, doesn't it, Dylan? Go, Dylan. Uh, no, <laughs> but, uh, I'm very grateful for it either way. Um, yeah. but no, that, that was a learning curve for all of us. So, cause that was also the first time that you'd worked with a, a major publisher, right? Correct. Um, yeah. yeah. So that was just, yeah. I'd done three books before. And so one was through cook with Reggie Joyner and I really, I just wrote the book. That was it. I didn't really mark it. And then I released two through orange books, Reggie's company I was the first book they ever released, but it was kind of like a hybrid of self-publishing back then and and uh, going with a publisher. Uh, but Kevin Jennings helped me with those launches. Yeah. And then this time we had a, a great publisher in Waterbrook Penguin, but um, I realized we needed an internal lead on the team. And so, ta-da, there's Dylan. Yeah. And then that was a year and a half ago, uh, right? You started in the summer of 2018. So now here we are recording this in November yep. of 2019. So you've been almost a year and a half on the team. And then about four or five months ago, you pivoted to a new role. So describe yes. that. In the summer uh, of 2019, Sarah came back from maternity leave and I stepped into a role called content manager that me and you had kind of been kind of thinking through yeah. for the last five months because we knew Sarah was coming back and uh, or had a strong, like, we were pretty sure that she was coming no, back. No, I was praying that Sarah was coming back. <laughs> that, that's the most accurate description of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was too. <laughs> but, um, it actually gives a lot more um, kind of freedom and flexibility to do what I love, which is um, writing and creating and thinking through ideas. And um, so that's kind of what I've been doing. And it's so I run a lot of your um, like social media and I kind of help with audience engagement there. And we've been kind of looking at course launches and stuff like that. With that position, you have freed me up to kind of um, learn how to grow what we're doing. And uh, you've just given me a lot of like free realm to say, hey, what you love, go and do it. And uh, like teach yourself, go take courses if you need to, like all these things, like learn how to do this and 
like thrive where you can. And that's been amazing. So, well, it's a little more in line with your gifting and a little more in line with your training as well. Right. In, in terms of what you had hoped to do with your life. But I think one of the lessons on this is, you know, and, and I hadn't, hadn't thought about this, but both of you were just willing and you were flexible and you were open and, um, you know, you, your background, your education, you have a BA in psychology. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And child and youth development. Mm-hmm. So you're here to figure out messed up bosses. Yeah. That, that's there what you've go. been doing for decades. <laughs> Tell me about your childhood. Tell <laughs> me about my childhood. That's right. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and so this wasn't exactly like what you thought you would do. And what do you do with a BA in psychology normally? Well, there's a lot of options and no options exactly. at the same time. I have a BA so, in history. Yeah. So it's like, it's pre-law. That's what so, it is. It's pre-law. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Really, I was just studying what I loved and hoping that God would, you know, guide my steps in the process. And yeah. I think he did. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. And then Dylan, yours is in ministry, right? Yep. Pastoral ministry. Bachelors. Yeah. Which is Really cool. So, mm-hmm. but I think, I think this is what education does. And we, we don't, I'm not like, I have three university degrees, but I don't spend a lot of time on the academic section of anyone's CV or resume because what, what I do think it does, I'll, I'll hire anybody who's got hustle and skills and gifting and that kind of thing. But what I do think a university education or college education prepares you for is it forces you uh, to study and to learn and to submit yourself to a course and to earn something. And, and both of you were, were great students. Um, so let's talk about, because college prepares you knowledge-wise for certain things and you get a certain skill set out of that, but leadership's a whole other game. And working in the real world, you know, that's, that's a different thing. So if you were to assess your leadership skills when you started out, you know, Dylan, two years ago, Sarah, a decade ago, uh, take us back and say, talk about how prepared you felt and what the challenges were for you when you got into the workplace for the first time. I would say everything that I would have identified in myself as a leadership skill was accidental at Mm. that time. I just noticed that, um, that people would follow what I was doing or, um, or I was, I, felt like I had stumbled into this role where people needed to follow what I was doing. And I had no practical skills or training. It's true. You were always kind of a leader. I mean, I saw you even as a teenager in our church kind of grow up and you always did have, you had important moral principles and you had certain things that people followed you on. Is that something you noticed even in like elementary school or high school that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it was always an accident. And I thought, well, I guess it's just the way it is. I, I didn't know what to do with it. All mm. my leadership skills mm. were mm. accidental. Yeah, I saw that in you, even on staff when you started as an intern, that you were somebody mm-hmm. people paid attention to. Mm. So it was more of a natural leadership skill, but in terms of the hard skills for the job, how prepared did you feel? Not at all. No. Yeah, no <laughs> hard skills or training or anything. Uh-huh. Yeah. Dylan, what was that like for you? Very similar to Sarah's of, I knew a lot of like head knowledge and I knew um, it, it like all of the information, but I had no clue how to get the results. Um, I had no clue like what actually meeting a deadline looks like because as a student, um, this may have changed in the last decade or so, but like I feel like deadlines are becoming less and less um, strict and most colleges or all of my college experience, I'm not going to say most college um 
there was a bit of give that just doesn't exist in the marketplace. There's a bit of grace that um, is great and it's awesome for developing young people. Um, but now that I'm in the workplace and we have to produce results, I just wasn't ready. <laughs> so, I mean, in terms of papers, right? Like you would, you would get some flex on papers and you wouldn't necessarily uh, have to get them in on time. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. I still don't actually. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. How does that, how does that go over at work, Dylan? When you're like, yeah, I'm not going to hit the deadline. No. Well, I, I think I've definitely missed a deadline. I, I didn't, I don't remember a time where I've intentionally missed a deadline that yeah. I could say. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, one of the things we say, even with this podcast, right, the podcast ships every Tuesday, no matter what. And we're over five years into it. We've never missed a Tuesday. In the early days, that was some 5 a.m. phone calls, some, some work till midnight to try to figure out how the heck does this thing work. But um, yeah, I mean, now we have, a, we have a system and everything. But yeah, so deadlines was a big difference. What else would you say about your skill set, Dylan? I personally, um, I, I thought that I was stressed and I thought that I had lived like a really busy lifestyle. But what I realized is I just wasn't stewarding my time well, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in college, you, you make these things, you, you go to like the, the 10 o'clock late night special at the restaurant with everybody and like all these social events that were happening all the time. And I had to realize like, oh, I can't do these things and have a full-time job or a near full-time job 30 hours a week and be a full-time student. Uh, yeah. I had to learn some kind of time management that was deeper than the level that I had at the time. So that was a really big shift for me also. Do you miss that part? Do you miss like, because you have been working on average about 30 hours a week plus carrying a course load, uh, you know, and that's by your choice. Nobody's making yep. you do this. But uh, do you miss the the freedom and the flexibility uh, for that? I, I don't think so because like you look back at those times and yeah, you could do whatever you wanted pretty much any all the time, but you don't do anything meaningful. By the mm. end of the day, you just go and you, you live life, you have fun, whatever. And I didn't have the, you know, the partying college lifestyle, but I did have the going and like having fun with my friends and playing video games and watching movies and all that kind of stuff. And like, so that kind of college experience, it, it's empty at the end of the day. So, and what mm. we're doing now is meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and you still have like a social life, do you? Oh or yeah. Some, yeah. some element. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just That's in good. Minnesota this weekend. So yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Think about that because I remember when you were young and single, just straight out of college, you would often spend your weekends and evenings with friends and oh, all yeah, that. Oh yeah, all the time. All the time. Yeah. So you're incredibly social, Sarah. Yeah. yeah. So now totally different stage of life. Two kids who basically occupy 99% <laughs> yes. of your free time. Yes. And mental a, real estate. And mental real estate. <laughs> But any thought about that, that tension, because we are talking about how to attract and keep high capacity leaders, particularly young leaders. What was that season like for you when you were trying to balance your social life, but also you had real responsibilities and a real job at work? I felt like I didn't have kids, so I had a lot of time. (laughs) So I don't know if that's a cop-out answer. Did you feel like you had a lot of time at the time or um, just now looking back? Now looking back on it, Mm -hmm. I realized I had a lot of time, but I always felt like my schedule was full because I was filling it with things that I wanted to do. And I would volunteer a lot more than I do now. And um, I would take road trips to visit friends from college Mm -hmm. and like all that kind of stuff. 
it was a bit of a tension, but I think partially because in a ministry role, a lot of the work falls on weekends where my friends would be available, I would be working simply because it was ministry. But that was the only tension I think that I really had to navigate with work. You got exhausted at times. I Both did. of you, yes. we would have conversations in, and we got a free download for people with the high impact workplace on the five questions I've learned to ask. And you guys were kind of my guinea pigs with those questions, but uh, they've been really helpful. But there have been times where both of you came to me and said, I think I'm burning out. Mm -hmm. I remember I got a call from your mom once. Yeah. Said, I'm really concerned about Sarah. Yeah, because I had no boundaries. Mm. So I was putting... I was putting my work ahead of everything else and letting everything else fall in around it, right. which meant my work didn't have a boundary to bounce up against. When I was single and um, I didn't have, you know, kids waiting to be picked up or, you know, I could work late. I could work every day of the week. And that's what I was doing, mm. uh, which was not healthy um, and not good, but I just didn't know anything else. And that's what so I was doing. I think, uh, I think I followed your lead in establishing some more boundaries. I think the um, work culture that we were in at the time at Conexus started to shift. and That's true. As I got yeah. healthier, we got healthier. Yeah. And yeah. taking Fridays off became normal instead mm. of working on Fridays and that kind of thing. And I just realized I needed boundaries. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I was just going to keep living the way that I was. Was it fair to say sometimes that your social life, like for sure we had issues at work where it was, you know, we were launching a church. It was a, a meat grinder at times and I was trying to get healthier. I was recovering from burnout myself, right? Trying to get healthier. But sometimes it was work. Was there ever a time where sometimes it was like your social life was out of control? Oh yeah, was I was in, a, in to... a wedding every other weekend oh, or yeah, something. Oh yeah, you were. You were because, the, yeah, you yeah, were. In my mid twenties when all my friends were getting married, it was so much fun, but- Holy mm. weddings are weddings are a lot of work and a lot of time and uh -huh. they are a blast, but you know. <laughs> yeah. So it's that whole life thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and we would have conversations about that. I remember the light bulb going off sometimes in your brain that it's like, oh, wait a minute, this isn't work. Mm -hmm. This is like 42 weddings in a month. Yeah. Right. Or whatever, whatever <laughs> it was. Whatever it was yeah. that you were navigating. <laughs> Yeah, and then there was the whole dating phase, which we don't yeah. need to get into. <laughs> Sometimes that got That was crazy. fun. Carrie was my dating coach. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The speed dating story I will never yeah. forget. Oh, yeah. Okay, now everybody knows about that. <laughs> okay, okay. So we should stop. Should we cut that out? No, it's fine. It was great. I highly recommend it. <laughs> All right. And then Dylan, remember that first summer, you had a season that was really difficult too. Yeah, yeah. Um so it was the same story with Sarah, uh, where I didn't have boundaries and I would just work all the time. And I think that was to accommodate the really steep learning curve that I was mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. Um, I think part of me knew that. So I was okay with working a ton at the beginning. Cause I, I just realized, Oh, I'm way behind where I need to be for this job. So, um, that happened. But then what I realized is, um, after that summer hit, I was still feeling pretty burnt out into the school year when I moved back into college. And uh, what I realized is that although I had good work boundaries, I had never even thought about putting in place good personal boundaries. Mm. Um, so, and uh, specifically in a dorm, this is a problem where uh, like people can just walk in your door and talk to you at any time. And I, I love my roommates. I love the people there, but I do not need to be talking until 1 a.m. when I have to get up at six the next day for work. Um, yeah. 
so I, and I think, uh, like I, I prided myself on being like having really good boundaries with like, you know, I'm going to get work done when I need to get work done. I'm going to be focused, but I had terrible personal, personal boundaries. So I think that's something that, um, yeah, it just helped me a lot to put in place. I think depending on the culture of the leaders listening, they, I, I can think, you know, I remember we hired someone once from Pepsi. She came right over from Pepsi and she goes, wow, you guys, you talk about personal life a lot more than anyone at Pepsi does. And I remember the joke being, how was your weekend? Oh, I filed for divorce on Saturday. Oh, okay. Well, are you in on that 10 o'clock meeting? Like it's almost that level of like non-personal wow. self-disclosure. And I remember from the oh. law firm in that year I spent in law, that was very typical or in radio. You didn't really know what was going on in people's lives. We tend to talk about it more, but I want you to help leaders listening understand like how does that stay an appropriate conversation? Because you can be too probing as a boss. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like I can be too like, you know, the whole Mm -hmm. speed dating thing. People are like, well, how did you know that? But it's not like I was picking. No, I told you. (laughs) Yeah, you told me. Yeah. I just want to make that clear because it's there's something that I really enjoy getting to know the whole person of people that are on my team because I think you bring the whole person to work. Like you bring your whole self to work. Dylan, you bring your whole self to work. Yeah. And if you've got a long line out of your dorm room because you were basically a residence proctor, right? Or assistant or whatever. And they're they're trying to keep you up till four o'clock in the morning. You bring that Dylan to work the next day and to your exam the next day. What are some good practices or what are some insights on how that conversation stays healthy and not probing or inappropriate? That's a good question. Yeah, I don't know. We kind of navigated without yeah. talking about it, right? Yeah. So I'm just, I'm just curious. Uh, I think so. In our personal calls, Carrie, like, um, I, I don't always know that they're coming, but I keep a list running at all times of things that I need to talk to with Carrie, and I know that that personal conversation is happening first. Um, but what I try to do is I try to make sure that the role, results don't get affected. Um, like so. We talk about a lot in the course about being results based and not attempts based. Um, mm. So as long as those, I like that. I should have used that language, Dylan. <laughs> That's, That's good. good. Yeah, uh, attempts based. I, I tried. <laughs> Which counts? It does yes, count. Yes, it does. But still. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. Um, but as long as like I can still get done the things on that list that we need to get done in that conversation, the personal can keep going. Uh, for me, is kind of how I view it. Um, so if I know I have you for 20 minutes and I know that I have probably 10 minutes of stuff to talk about, well, I'll, I'll kind of transition into that at 10 if I can. Hmm. Um, that would be my thought, but yeah, yeah, I think for a while I didn't realize you actually wanted to know how I was doing. Hmm. Like, I don't know how long it actually took me to realize that, but you just kept asking. So how are you doing? No, really? How are you doing? Mm-hmm. And you did a thoughtful job of asking follow-up questions when I would answer that showed me that you're really curious about how I'm doing, not yeah. not just at work. And I think once I realized that, then I felt like I could tell you that I went speed dating and how it went. <laughs> <laughs> and it was yeah. a it was a good <laughs> it was a good laugh. But I think, you know, like I spent I don't know, six or seven years working in ministry as a single woman and dating life affected how I was doing at work um, because dating affects how you do at work. 
But if those two are separate and you feel like you have to hide or can't talk about that, I just, I just don't think that's as healthy or helpful. Where do you draw the line? What is too much information? Um, I think is a gut check. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know that I have a hard answer for that. And I think part of it for me is I let you tell me yeah. as your boss, yes. I let you go to the level that you're comfortable with. Yeah. I'm not like probing, you know, Dylan, you're dating someone right now. Like if you want to talk about it, we'll talk about it. If you don't want to talk about it, we won't talk about it. I'm not your counselor. Mm-hmm. I'm not your therapist, mm-hmm. uh, but I do want to be your friend and I want to be your boss. And I, I realized too, like even for married people, for Tony and I, when we were having challenges in our marriage, that did show, absolutely that shows up at work. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would, you yeah. you stayed up till one o'clock arguing about something, you, you're going to suffer for that the next day. And it's even the mental fog, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or you're running, now you're a mom and, you know, our kids are grown. Doesn't mean you don't have issues, but it's less of a day-to-day thing. But, you know, if you're really burdened for your kids, that shows up at work. Mm-hmm. You're distracted. You can't think, particularly for office workers, knowledge workers, mm-hmm. right? What do you bring to your work? Your brain. Mm-hmm. That's what you bring. And mm-hmm. your heart. And yeah. if your heart and brain are burdened down by other things, then you're not going to be able to help us accomplish the mission. And I want to help you try to accomplish your mission as well. Um, what would you say, looking back on it, just shifting gears a bit, was the hardest learning for you when you stepped into marketplace leadership, like when you got that real job in college or out of college? I never, I never like had had somebody above me who just looked at the results, not the attempts. Mm. And I, I, that's my own language, obviously, but no, that's great. It's yeah. Understanding that difference took me forever to get, um, you can probably agree. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But once I understood that, that was game changing for um, knowing kind of the culture I was working in and how to do my job. Um, Can you explain that a little bit more, the difference between attempts and results, Dylan? Yeah. So an example is uh, early on when I was your assistant, one big thing that was always random, um, but a part of our company culture is you were really generous with gifts that we'd send people, Um, whether it was... Uh, one of our team members was having a rough week, something bad happened, and you would um, really try to give them something, which is awesome. Uh, but if we needed that gift by Friday, and I called three flower companies but never got flowers on the way, that doesn't count. Like that, <laughs> that, that, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many attempts I get. It's the results that happen um, is kind of the, the end goal of that. So understanding that and moving towards that was huge because – well, that's another, um, if you look at kind of school, when you grow up, you can attempt a paper and get a 90 and that's good enough. Like mm. that's fine. But it, but I could have written everything wrong in that paper. Um, I, I've gotten 95s in college by voice typing and just hitting send. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's exceptional. I did not know that. That's incredible. I want to go back to college. <laughs> Wow. It still conveys the quality of thought, but not the organization or anything. Yeah. And it's funny because I do want to reward effort. And yet at the end of the day, you know, we just got a ship. Like I said, you know, if the blog is due Monday, it's due Monday. If, uh, if you've got to get back to this person in 24 hours, you got to get back to this person in 24 hours. If the gift or whatever we're doing needs to be like this week, we have a funeral 
uh, for somebody we care about. So you're sending flowers, Sarah, you're back in the assistant role, but mm-hmm. like those flowers shouldn't show up the day after the funeral. They yeah. need to be there day of and or before. And so that's just, that is a little bit of a difference, I think, stepping into the marketplace. How about for you, Sarah? Um, for me, the hardest part was actually figuring out my voice, um, mm. speaking up when I had an opinion. Um, part of that's probably a personality thing for me, but yeah. for a long time, I would keep quiet unless asked. Um, and I think finding my voice, learning to speak up, learning to contribute meaningfully to conversations and meetings and decisions was hard for me. And I think I probably didn't have the confidence to speak up at first. And you would really call that out of me and say, no, I really want to know what you think. Your opinion matters here. And that was helpful to me. I don't know that everybody has that problem, but for me, it was, it was, I didn't know how to speak up. Mm. Um, So I had to learn, I had to learn that. That's good. What helped with that? You helped with that a lot um, because you you would ask me and you would push for my full opinion, especially if I didn't agree because I'm not mm-hmm. wanting to rock the boat on things. And if I didn't agree with something, you could sometimes tell and be like, no, really, tell me what you think. And that's you need to know that as an Enneagram 8. Yes, I do <laughs> need to be, know as an 8. Yeah. I need to know that you disagree, which is <laughs> yeah. hard for you as a which 2. Which is hard for me, yeah. And Dylan, you're a 3, yeah. which is hard for you. I'm a three wing too. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I've got that in me. Yeah. So that was yeah. probably the hardest. Was that hard for you too, to like Dylan that, no, I really want to hear what you think. Yeah. Uh, and I think it was, for me, it was the overall, um, just the, the embracing the differing opinions and like conflict in a workplace, in the workplace. I've written a blog post about this, but um, like just understanding that like, when we disagree, we need to talk about it. We need to address mm-hmm. it. Like that um, was huge for me coming in. And it was really hard. Uh, I My strengths finder is restorative, harmony, connectedness, belief, and includer. So like restorative, harmony, that's number one <laughs> and two for me. So <laughs> conflict just doesn't work <laughs> um, in my head. But I've learned to make it work. And uh, I, I think we've gotten a lot better at it. Just in our team call yesterday, I brought up a differing opinion that I was really nervous to share, um, but it, it, and it went okay. It was a good conversation. And we like, so it's just, it's happening every day now where before I would get into conflict once a year and it never ended well. So (laughs) yeah, well, even yesterday, last night we were trying to get something shipped and, uh, it was a work late kind of night, just the way the week is shaping up. And I remember we had a, a text thing going between you, me and our podcast manager, Aaron, about what to include in the show notes. And you had one view and I had the other. And I rarely pull out my veto power, but at like nine o'clock last night, I was done. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to pull out my veto power and I'm going to say, we're not going to run this. And, uh, we deleted it and it was done. And, and, you know, the interesting thing is, uh, I, I don't think anybody took offense at that. Is that fair? I think that we've just created a culture where we like I personally realize that the more feedback we get, the better the company does. Mm -hmm. And um, ultimately, the more leaders we help when Mm -hmm. we make things better. So if we see things that could be better, it's better to say something. Mm -hmm. And uh, like, although like I used to view it as, oh, you're just hurting people's feelings in the now. No, uh, I think just part of life is conflict. And one thing that I really had to wrestle with in understanding like and embracing conflict 
is if I look at this is a Christian thing, but if you look at the words of Jesus, almost always he was saying something that was in conflict with somebody else. Yeah, that's <laughs> and, fair. Yeah. And so I had never looked at it through that lens. Um, so I, that was why I didn't take offense to it. And I, I think like we have enough relational um, clout between everyone on the team where uh, if they're like, if someone does get hurt, we can definitely say something if we do. Yeah, And I think the intent in the conflict is to help not hurt. Right. Exactly. Like a passive aggressive thing where you're nice to someone's face, but not behind their back. That, that feels good in the moment, but well, it's not, but down the road, it just results in even deeper hurt. So it's better to say, you know, when you said that in the meeting, that was kind of frustrating or demotivating and, and that kind of thing. So on motivation, what motivates you? Because that is a huge issue when you look at attracting and keeping high capacity leaders. And I would say you're both people that I consider to be high capacity leaders, um, but uh, people jump around all the time to different companies. So different churches, different organizations. What what motivates you? Like, why do you get up in the morning on the days where you're excited about work, which I hope is more than once a week? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, what what motivates you? Um, doing a good job for something that is important. Um, and I think what we are doing is important, equipping leaders and helping people thrive in life and in leadership. And um, I like seeing you succeed and that's probably good because that's my job <laughs> to help you succeed. <laughs> but I, I am also very motivated by work that allows me to have a rich home life, um, mm. you know, to be home with my boys and tuck them into bed at night and, you know, have some time to take them to the park in the day. Like that kind of thing makes my job even more valuable because I can actually do both um, mm. and I can thrive in both. Um, so that's very motivating to me. And also I love the culture of our team. And that's a big deal. And I think if it wasn't a healthy culture, the rest, I would give up the rest if it was not a healthy culture. Like, so you think you would leave yeah. if the culture was bad? Yeah. What makes it a healthy culture in your view? Probably what we were just talking about. Healthy mm -hmm. conflict, um, genuine care for each other, really wanting to know how each other are doing, having the freedom to speak our, speak our mind and our ideas. Um, what would you say, Dylan? What makes it a healthy uh, culture? Our, uh, our company values, I think. Yeah. And, and okay, so not just company values, because every, like, everyone has values or something, um, but whether we follow them or not. Mm -hmm. And, I, I like, we actually do. We talk about them all the time. I think, I think generosity gets brought up three or four times a week as our, one of our company values. It's uh, air on the side of generosity. So what motivates you? Like, the company values? What, what else? Why are you still here? You have options. Yeah. Um, so one is I personally am pretty deeply motivated to help the big C church thrive. Um, mm. I think we have a lot of reasons that the world can look at the church and kind of scoff and say, you know, why do you even exist anymore? Like we, we've moved on. Um, and I think the world is just missing out when it says that. Um, so and it, like you can't just change that. Well, you can just change that from one independent church, but like we can have a greater impact on that if we're helping, you know, uh, 1.2 million leaders a month like that and say 800,000 of them are pastors. Like right. that's awesome. Question for you. How much is pay? I mean, we don't pay minimum wage here. We pay above that. But without going into details, how much is pay a motivator for you? It needs to be 
more than it costs for my kids to be in daycare. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, Which at minimum wage, you're kind yeah, of losing, right? Yeah, I'm but, losing money. Yeah. But at this point, pay is a bit of a motivator. If I was in the minus, I would not be doing this. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I'm not doing this for the money. Mm. I just am not. <laughs> no, I know. I, I realized that. Yeah. <laughs> I, re- I knew you would say that, Sarah. Yeah. And, and that's kind of your heartbeat. I mean, you yeah. buy ethical clothing. You are very I careful try. about where. Yeah, you do. Yeah. You, you think about where whatever you purchase was manufactured and who made it and things like that. So, uh, and I, I, th- I think that's, that's very consistent with the data. When you look at any study and you look at millennials or Gen Z, mm-hmm. you, you see that pay is not the motivator that people think it is. How about for you, Dylan? Is that a factor? To what extent is that a factor? Um, I think I am probably in the top two or three percent of people my age that really like care about my like how my financial situation is looking. Um, yeah, you you paid. Can I say you paid cash for a car, which I think is amazing. Woo, go Dylan! Way to go, Dylan! <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, thank you guys. But uh, it's not a Lamborghini, yeah. just for the record. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. What is it? It's a Ford Fusion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, hey, but cash for a car, dude. Like that's yeah, incredible yeah. at age 20 to go out and like just write a check for a car. That's really big. And you do like, uh, obviously we're not paying paid minimum wage, which I know a lot of people um, who are in ministry as a fully grown adult with kids who get paid almost minimum wage. Right. And so, so looking at that, um, yeah, more, I'm really grateful to not be there. Um, and you just take care of us. Like you, you care about Sarah and I, like one of your kids and Mm. we know that. So that I'm really grateful for that aspect. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and go ahead. Um, I was going to say you pay us well, and that communicates to me that you respect and appreciate the work that we're doing Mm. and knowing that I'm respected and appreciated is actually motivating. So that's what the pay tells me, but it's not like, I want another 50 yeah. cents an hour yeah. now, right? Yeah. It's not, I appreciate yeah. that. I appreciate that. And the church is, is chronic for either overpaying or in a tiny percentage of cases, overpaying. Did I say that right? Underpaying or overpaying? Underpaying or overpaying. Vast majority is underpaying, which I think is bad. I think you should pay a living wage. Um, but money stops being a motivator. Again, all the data that I've read suggests that once you hit 75000 a year, which is you know, a very decent salary, for most people, they're like, okay, I can pay the bills. I can pay, um, you know, I can buy groceries. We can take a vacation once or twice a year. And now money stops being the motivator than it was. Like if you don't have, like, like you right. say, if you're yes. losing money on daycare or you're yeah. bre- bake, breaking even, or you have to say to Justin don't go too far. We haven't got money for gas. Mm-hmm. That's a very different conversation than yes. saying, yeah. no, we can live on what we have, yeah. but then it just stops being the motivator. Other yeah. motivation, motivating factors for you. You mentioned, let's talk about how the team likes each other. Cause we do, we're a small team, but mm-hmm. we've had that. We had that when I led at the church, I think we genuinely loved each other. Dylan, you weren't part of that, but Sarah was, but looking over the last decade, what about team chemistry, team dynamics? Oh, kind of thing. the people make or break your, mm, yeah. your office. They, oh yeah. They, um, I mean at the church, they were some of my favorite people in the world that I got yeah. to work with every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I can say the same of this team and team members in the past. Like I just, I I've always loved the team that we've had and having a team that you like working with is huge, huge. Mm. 
because it, if the, it affects the culture and if the culture is poisonous, it's easy to walk away from a poisonous culture. Yeah. Know? I think one thing that I really, really appreciate about our team is that like, not only do I like everyone that we work with, but I trust everyone we work yeah. with. Mm. Um, I, and I think that's, that's huge too, where it, I think this is probably more common than I think, but like my girlfriend, Maggie, who is like really important to me, she's amazing and um, very grateful for God for her, but she's never met any of you. So yeah, um, that's right. We're a virtual company. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she knows our company culture and she knows the character that all of us carry. Um, not just you carry, um, but like we all have to carry that. So I think that's huge. And I think that that's, um, I'm just really grateful for that. And I, we have a ton of fun too. So that's, yeah. it's always good. One thing I've always appreciated is there doesn't seem to be a lot of politics or if there is, I'm out. Like, I don't know. You guys are talking behind my back because I missed it, <laughs> yeah. but it's pretty gossip free, politic free. What do you want to talk about that? Because that is so rare at work. I don't know where I first heard this, um, but somebody along the line said this and I adopted it is um, negative up, positive down. So, oh yeah, we used I to mean, talk about yeah, that. I forgot at about that so, at Connexus. That was a Connexus thing I did. From? Did you come up with that? Mm, I don't know. Have. I'll claim credit for it because <laughs> I can't remember who did. No, I really um, don't remember. But that was, I started putting everything through that filter. If I have negative feedback, Gosh, I forgot about that, that. that needs to good. go to you or to somebody that I'm reporting to yeah. and not go down. And the positive stuff needs to keep going down. I mean, positive up too, but. So explain that because there is a thinking behind it. Negative yeah. up, positive down. Yeah. So, so the person that I report to you consider up or above. So I've been reporting mm. to you for years. So when I have negative feedback, that shouldn't be going to a volunteer that I'm leading or, you know, to a, a staff member that I'm working with. That needs to be coming to you to solve. And that just avoids a lot of gossip and unnecessary conversation and tension when negative feedback or circumstances or whatever goes to the person you're reporting to. And then the positive stuff yeah. needs to keep going down um, and going out in the organization. And, and I don't remember when you said that or where, um, but yeah. I, just, I just think that was huge in, in creating a healthy staff culture then. And I think it's just, you know, in the water of our team now. Yeah, I think it is. I think, yeah. it, does that surprise you, Dylan? I guess that's uh, been our working assumption. No, not at all. I, actually, my first week of working for you, I think I listened to your episode with Brian Miles. Yeah. Um, where Brian talks about how if anybody gossips once, they're fired from their company. Right, it's zero Just, tolerance. That's, that's incredible. Zero tolerance. Yeah. yeah. It, and it's when you like it. Obviously, they warn people where in the interview, they're like, this is your warning. If you gossip, you're gone. So um, I just, yeah. That's that's where I uh, like have that kind of based in. And that was a big kind of like eye opener for me is because when I said that, I'm like, that's amazing that he would think that they have that rule. Um, do we have something like that? And you said, yeah, that's the rule here, too. And I'm like, oh, this is different because uh, I mean, that every church I'd work <laughs> <Yeah>. in. <laughs> Churches and gossip go <laughs> hand in hand. And we really and don't college. deal with that even at Connexus to this day no. under Jeff's leadership. We yeah. just, it's not a gossip culture. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Which is great, mm -hmm. which is great. Cause we really, we, you know, it's wonderful to like the people you work with. Okay, we, we gotta be honest. It's not all sunshine. <laughs> what demotivates you? What are some of the hardest sort of, you know, mountains we've had to climb together? What, what let's start with that. What demotivates you? Um, 
when you're grumpy. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> yes, you are. I'm an eight. Um, I can be grumpy. Sorry, you're allowed to be grumpy, but uh-huh. when you start to project how you're feeling onto me, mm-hmm. then I it's demotivating. I'm just like, I can't fix how you're feeling. And I do get grumpy. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But you are incredibly self-aware now that you realize that you're grumpy and you realize that it's not, you know. And usually that. what triggers my grumpiness other than a bad night's Exhaustion, sleep. too much to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get overwhelmed. Too much to do. Yeah. yeah. I get overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, and you're so good at this because you will look at my calendar. You told me in October, by the way, said you're going to hate October. Because I was on the road like a crazy amount with very little. I love the ability to just have unstructured hours, that green zone mm-hmm. that we talk about. We will talk about the new high impact leader mm-hmm. where I just have time to think and reflect and write and dream. And I didn't have a lot in October, but mm-hmm. we've done a really good job of building around that now. Mm-hmm. So I actually enjoyed October. Yeah. But because but, if you're expecting to hate it and then you didn't. See? See? Oh, ninja psychology <laughs> yeah. trick there. Did you get a degree in psychology? I did, yeah. <laughs> you you got me. That's awesome. Yeah, but I would say for sure, for sure. Yeah. And you know, talk to Tony about it. You guys <laughs> you guys gonna have tea one day and talk about grumpy <laughs> yeah. carry. Uh yeah. yeah no, but sure. I do think I do think that that your that your mood impacts my motivation. For sure. For better or worse. Now that is good to know. Okay, because I would have expected you to say your mood impacts my mood, but what you said was my mood impacts your motivation. Yes, yeah. Woo. Yeah. That's like every boss, hey, wake up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Dylan, you're you're nodding. Yep, yeah. Especially when I was your assistant, it was the same thing. We just had so much contact that if your mood was down and like, there's always something like uh, looking back at my uh, 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 time as your assistant, there was always something that you could have pointed at and said, hey, why isn't this better? Um, just so sometimes when you were grumpy, you would point to all of those things. Correct. <laughs> uh, Correct. Yeah. No, that's very yeah. fair. That's very yeah. fair. And you know, that that's a really good reminder to me. I want to keep getting better yeah. at this, but to know that that actually impacts your motivation. Mm-hmm. And part of my gifting slash curse, because your gifting, your blessing and the curse are the same thing, is um, I know how to make things better because I always spot what's wrong. Mm-hmm. I have an instant ability to spot what's out of place. Mm-hmm. And a lot of a lot of leaders have that. I know I know of, of pastors of large churches who've been banned from run through because they're pointing out that this light is flickering or, oh, no. or that, that, you know, the EQ isn't quite right. And I, yeah. I have all those critical bones in my body. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's hard because as a boss, what I'm trying to straddle, when I'm overwhelmed and exhausted, yes, I'm not at my best. I'm always at my kindest when I'm at my most rested, mm-hmm. for sure. But, you know, when you see the problems in the organization, there is a difference. Arrested me will point them out in a helpful way or ask mm-hmm. a question. Mm-hmm. A exhausted me or a bad day me will not. Mm-hmm. I will just like, all right, Sarah, here's five things that are wrong today. Blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Dylan, blah, 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 blah. And that's that's real fair. Yeah. That's real fair. But I should say, mm-hmm. it's not like you can't have a grumpy day. Everybody right. has a bad day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, it's how that how that comes across to the team. And what you started to do with me as our trust grew, as your assistant, is you would tell me why you were having a bad day. And that gave me empathy. You would pull back the curtain appropriately on like, I had to have a hard conversation and I'm just feeling really bad about it or, 
It's true. You know, and if I could understand why you were having a bad day, then you don't have to hide it. And I can support you in a different way because I can empathize and... Is that because then you don't take it personally or yes. what? Yeah, oh, because I would think, okay. oh, this is my mm. fault. He's mad at me for all these things. Uh, and really you're having a bad day because there was things going on in your personal life or you know things going on higher up in the organization that I couldn't see. Yes, that was you especially know? true at Connexus yes. where there were times yes. where I just couldn't tell you what was going on. Yeah, and but you were would, stressed about oh, it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and now you guys, I mean, because it's a company, a privately held company. It's different now. You, Yeah, it is different. I don't have a board. That, well, I have a board, but I don't, you know, you kind of are, you're the heart of the organization. And so it's just, it's just different. Dylan, you were doing a lot of nodding there for our listeners. So tell me more about, because I know you're a three, you're a performer. And, you know, there's such an age gap too. Sometimes it feels like a father figure coming down your throat or something. Is that fair? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, uh, especially, I think I was more prone to that too. Um, uh, my, for the, so the listeners know, my, my dad passed away when I was 12. So like that gap has, I mean, that just follows you into leadership all the way um, where, so it set me up where I put a lot of value on what mentors say. The upside of that is I have a lot of mentors. The downside of that is that when I disappoint a mentor, it's like taking my knees out from under me. Mm. Um, so whenever we'd have those conflicts like moments or like the discouraging conversations, like that would be, as Sarah said, extremely demotivating and just take all the wind out of my sails. And then you're working hurt a little bit. And yeah, so. Um, but when I began to understand you and how your brain worked, um, again, I was able to not take it so personally. Um, and knowing that you were an eight and that you saw the conflict differently was really helpful. So that I welcome it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I actually, I actually welcome conflict. And you know, mm-hmm. Dylan, to be fair, it was huge for me as you shared more of your story as you felt comfortable it helped me realize, oh, Dylan, Dylan feels this differently than mm-hmm. I would feel it. And so I, I could just be more sensitive to how I presented something on a good day or, or a bad day. And, you know, we are always navigating, and I think most leaders can probably relate to this, we're always navigating the tension between grace for each other and these results that we want to get, like yeah. we're on a mission. We're, yeah. we're out here to help people thrive in life and leadership. And if we launch a course like the High Impact Workplace and, you know, hundreds of people are signing up for the course, we actually need the login information to work, the videos to be where they're yeah. supposed to be <laughs> for, uh, you, know, you know, we were we were proofing some documents for that course launch, uh, which is underway right now mm-hmm. at the highimpactworkplace.com. But, you know, we're, we're proofing all that stuff. So it's it's high standards, high grace, I guess, is a way. Mm-hmm. Is that is that a good, accurate I think so. way to describe it? Because sometimes you have high standards and low grace. And then sometimes you have low standards and high grace. Yeah. Well, that would be an interesting quadrant yeah. to build out. I yeah. want to build that out one day. Yeah. That's yeah. an interesting leadership uh, quadrant because, you know, people are used to high standards, low grace. It's like, shut up and get it done. Yeah. Right. Or high grace. Oh, we love you and you're so amazing, but we suck. You know, and neither of do. those are motivating. No, right? No. Actually, you're right. Motivation of them is low are. in both yeah. cases. Yeah. Right? So how do you manage that tension yeah. of really high standards we have to ship? Yeah. We got to get this done or else, you know, just 
pack it in yeah. and go home. Yeah. Like just give up. Cause I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to give my life to something that stinks. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give my life to mediocre. That's one of our, our you yeah. know, one of our values yeah. battle mediocrity, right? Am I allowing what is good to stand in the way of what could be great? Yeah. So there's that or, you know, but I, I would say with my personality on bad days, I am the low grace, high, high demand. Mm-hmm. So high, high standards, low grace. And so I'm learning as a, pr- a product of my growth, personal growth, to try to be high grace and high standards. That's great. There's a blog post yeah. right there, man. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. And you repeat the statement all the time, attack the problem, not the person. Yes. And so that's kind of, that's how you navigate that, I think. Trying. On my good days, I get it right. On my bad mm-hmm. days, I get it wrong. Anything else that's demotivating to you guys? This is really good because people hate work, right? 70% of employees are disengaged and you're right. If that became the case, you'd probably disengage and then both of you have great options. You'll probably get 200 job offers as a result of being on this mm-hmm. podcast and uh, you'll go somewhere else, right? That's what will happen if, if it continues to be demotivating. So what else demotivates you? I'm always shocked at how much of my personal life can seep in. So um, that's probably the the second, like the other big demotivation factor in work um, is there's just countless examples of looking back over the last year where like I've got three papers and a test to take this week. And um, meanwhile, work, we're launching this big course or whatever, and I have to stay focused and drive on that where like when I get overwhelmed personally, I become demotivated in some of those individual areas. Mm. Um, so that would be a, that that's probably the other big thing is just our boundaries and nose have to stay high as a company. And you and I will negotiate sometimes where you're like, Hey, I'm going to be at the cabin this weekend or at the lake, or I'm going to be away doing this, or I've got a whole bunch of stuff. And you do you feel fairly confident that you can say, I'm going to work a little more this week and less next week. And just so I can focus, like we have that kind of flex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Last month, a very practical, like part of having a uh, flexible workplace is last month I turned in four weeks of times. One week was 15 hours and then the next three were 35. So I averaged out at a 30 hour week all month. Um, Mm -hmm. And I mean, your, your regular statement of, Oh, just work whatever, uh, like bill me for whatever hours you work. Um, that gave me the freedom and flexibility to do that. Yeah. Um, so meanwhile, I probably wouldn't have taken that 15 hour week, which was actually a school trip. So I would have had to anyways. But if I didn't feel that flexibility to go above 30 the rest of the mm. month. So what mm. do you motivate to anything else, Sarah? Oh, I feel like we've covered all the bases. Okay. Well, yeah. that's good. That's good. We're yeah. not, we're not perfect. <laughs> Interesting hypothetical question for you. What it would be like, I like that high, what is it? High standards, high grace. So when you're, when you think about a high grace, low standards environment, how does that demotivate you? If you were to move into one of those workplaces where it's really high grace, we're great at people, but really like, we don't really care what happens. It wouldn't matter if I did a good job or not. And I want to do a good job. (laughs) And if the standards are low and I don't know, it feels yucky. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't feel good to me. Dylan, even as somebody who appreciates, I thought you were a nine at first because you're such a, a peaceful person, but you're a three. <laughs> like, would that be motivate? How would that not be motivating to you anymore? Because in the not-for-profit world, it's a ton of high grace and low standards. Yeah, as a three, like the per, the performer side of me would be like, I wouldn't be proud to work there. Yeah. I wouldn't be proud. Okay, churches. 
I wouldn't be proud to invite my friends there. Yeah. Um, I like any of that. So as the the part of me that wants results, wants to do something meaningful with my life, which I think most of our generation does or everyone does, mm-hmm. you're not doing anything meaningful if you're not getting like results. If like if you've had zero baptisms this last year, what are like are you actually doing anything at all? Um, so that would be the question I'd have in my head. And just wrestling through that is, it's hard. Okay, no, that, that's fair. And then the opposite, the corporate world has the reputation for being low grace and high standards. And how would that feel? You would last three minutes. Yeah, fair, I would just Sarah? be like, eh, I'm out. I'm out. I don't I'm need gone. to be treated like that. Yeah. <laughs> you'll care for your own kids. You, yeah. You'll care for your own kids at yeah. that point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how about you, Dylan? What would you think about that? Yeah, I I think I'd be gone also. <laughs> May, I might stay like five minutes longer than Sarah just because it... it <laughs> just because um, you're a three? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the three kind of thinks we can hang, but we yeah. can't actually. <laughs> uh, See, but, I have to remember that because my default would be low grace, high standards. And so I just have to be really... That's, that's a learned behavior. I've learned a lot of that behavior from you, Sarah. So that's Thanks. good. You've helped a lot with that. So we've crafted a mission statement to help people thrive in life and leadership. We have seven cultural values. You'll get those in the course. If you sign up for the High Impact Workplace, we'll share all that stuff with you. Why does a mission-driven and a values-driven organization matter to you? We've touched on it a little bit, but I'd like to know a little bit more. Why is that so important to you that it can't just be hey, you know, a podcast had a record month or the blog traffic is up 50% or, you know, we sold X number of courses. Why can't it just be results driven? You know, in, in corporate, that would be P&L. In churches, it would be attendance and giving and that kind of thing. But why does a values driven organization matter to you? Because I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. Mm. Um, yeah, I know what I'm doing this for. And, you know, we're trying to help people thrive in life and leadership. And that's why, you know, mm. that's why it matters that the podcast is getting more listens and that the blog has more views and, um, you know, that, that I'm interacting well with the people that contact us. Yeah. It's about why. How about you, Dylan? So I, this is something I've been thinking about quite a bit. And one thing that I'm realizing with our, my generation specifically is um, like, we don't need to work. Like we really don't like, uh, cause I have multiple people that I know I'm not going to throw out any names or anything, but they just live at home and they don't pay <laughs> rent. They eat food uh, from their parents and like, you know, maybe they have savings, maybe they have a credit card, but like people don't have to have a job anymore if they're my age. It's just not mandatory. Right. And, and they don't care about the stigma of, oh, you live with your parents. Like, because everyone lives with their parents. I live with my aunt. This is her apartment. Um, <laughs> but so not having like not having a need to work. Now it's just a do I want to work? And when it's a mission vi- and values driven company, I want to work there. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's a really big thing for me and just people my age is like we don't have to. So it, the mission, vision and values is the only thing like left to motivate. And again, this is so interesting because in real life, you are saying what all the data says, that I'm a Gen X at the upper level of Gen X and Gen X and boomers are more like, you got to earn a paycheck, get out there and hustle, get a job, put something in the bank, you know, growth for growth's sake. And you're like, nah, 
I don't have to work. And, yeah. and that drives boomers crazy about you're almost Gen Z, Dylan. You're right on the border between Gen Z and millennials, right? Um, yep. Depending on how, how you do the demographic math. And it's, it's so interesting because people are like, really, people think that way? But both of you, mm-hmm. you really think that way. Yeah, really and and I, 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 Sarah, I know you well enough. Your husband has a full-time job. Mm-hmm. If you didn't believe in it, you wouldn't do it either, would you? Right, yeah. And we have an open conversation in our, in our house. Like if, if we no longer feel like we're doing something meaningful in our work, we will alter our lifestyle to make that change because we want to do something meaningful in the world. And- if what we're doing isn't meaningful, we will make lifestyle changes. Sell the second car. Right. Downsize. Yeah. Yeah. For real. For real. Yeah. Wow. Wow. See, and this is what, this is what I think older leaders have no idea the talent they're missing. But that's not to say that picking up the garbage off the curb isn't meaningful because it actually is. Yeah. Oh, you know, so there is meaning in every position, you know, in Mm -hmm. our society. It's just, making sure that people know that. <laughs> but you're just not going to work for a bad company yes, culture. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I should, okay. yeah, I should say that, yeah. No, that's good. That's really, really good to know. Okay, so we do have values. You get to pick a favorite um, of our seven <laughs> values, which is your favorite. <laughs> Mine on here is battle mediocrity. Um, I, I That's my favorite because I think it's the m- most rare one that I've seen. Um, I just, and uh, being a three, I also, I hate, um, like appearing mediocre specifically to the three, not just being mediocre. Um, I'm okay with being mediocre as long as nobody sees me, but, awesome. so golfing with friends, I always do better than golfing alone. Uh, but, <laughs> but battle mediocrity that I think that's, that's something that a lot of, um, one schools, uh, like in school, you can get an 80 and that's a B that's great but that's mediocre. Like that's, I mean, come on, you can do better. You get, get the A. So that, that's a big one for me, I think. Right. And I love, uh, that was our alternative to pursue excellence or the excellence virtue, because I think excellence brings diminishing returns and you don't want to be awful. Like who wants to be awful really, yeah. but it's really mediocrity. Most people settle short of what's great. And then eventually something is good enough, right? You got your minimum viable product. You're, you know, in Craig Grishel's language, it's your get mo good enough to move on. Hmm. And then, but it's not mediocre. Mm-hmm. It just excellence brings diminishing returns. Another, you know, $10,000 may not solve the problem the way you think it will. So just move on. Uh, okay. That's great. Uh, Sarah. Yeah. I love air on the side of generosity. That's great. just, that's just my love language. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what does that mean in our company? Um, it means that we aren't just in it to make money. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. And we, we give when we don't have to give. We, yeah. we want to see people succeed. And sometimes that means being generous with the resources that we have. And I just love that. Yeah. I, I yeah. love that. I see it. I see it uh, as a financial thing. I also see it as a mood and disposition yes, thing yeah. that we try to be generous with our words. We try to be uh, generous as, as much as we can with our time, even though yeah. that's a big issue. And that we try to be generous with each other. Yeah. And even in the tone of our emails, both of you have spent you know years of your life in the public inbox. And <laughs> we try to take every single email seriously. And we get, how many emails would we get in a, in a day these days? You're, you're in there. Mm, yeah, almost a hundred. hundred emails yeah. a day. Yeah. I remember there was one day last year we got a thousand emails in a day. Yeah. 
I'm like, wow. Okay. Yeah. But about a hundred times a day, you're trying to be generous in your words. You're trying to be mm-hmm. thoughtful. I know you'll sometimes pray over responses, Sarah. Yeah. And then definitely there's a financial side because lots of people yeah. say, well, I'm very generous except for money. No, then you're yeah. not generous, but yeah. you want to be on that side. Uh, now in the High Impact Workplace course, which is open right now, there are five different principles that we cover in one of the units. Um When things change and you don't, your company becomes irrelevant. Young leaders work for themselves, which I think we talked about. Freedom and autonomy are the next generation's new currency. Uh, Lead people the way they want to be led and replace suspicion and misunderstanding with care and coaching. That those are some of the principles that I think are going to define the next generation workplace as you try to attract and keep high capacity leaders. You want to pick a favorite and then kind of talk about what that means to you of those five values? I have a hard time picking a favorite. Now uh-huh. that those are in writing, I understand mm-hmm. why I've been around for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, because all of those things have kept me engaged at different seasons. Well, uh, let's talk about freedom and autonomy. Because okay. you have morphed so many times in your job. Yes. Uh, yeah. And then you can, you can ch- chime in. But okay. I, really, I w- really would love your take. Because I really okay. do think with younger leaders, millennials and Gen Z, freedom and autonomy are the new currency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I couldn't do this job that I love and that I want to do well if I didn't have freedom and autonomy because sometimes my kids throw up in the night and I have to take them to the hospital, you know, and I can't show up at nine o'clock on Monday um, and that kind of thing. But because there is the freedom and the autonomy to work when I can work, I can show up and do a good job. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise, I wouldn't be here and couldn't be Can you talk about how that works very specifically? So we are in a virtual workplace, yes, which means yeah. there's no office. Yeah. Um, um, I have to communicate what's going on. I can't just, you know, But do you have to ask AWOL. permission? Um, no. Yeah. But, Correct. But unless there's a critical meeting, like I need to figure something out if there's a critical yeah. meeting on the calendar. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's pretty rare that I run into that. Um, but no, like if if I need to take my kid to the hospital... I don't have to say, hey, can I go to the hospital? <laughs> right. Hey, can I get time off yes. right now? Yes. Or um, you you do communicate, but yeah. it's more telling than asking. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. Is that okay? That's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. And, and you know why it's okay? Because you hire great people. And at the end of the day, you have to get your work done. And if the work doesn't get done, because usually it's time shifting, mm-hmm. not time avoiding, You'll mm-hmm. just say, I'm so slammed. Both the boys mm-hmm. are sick. We are in the hospital overnight. Mm-hmm. I don't think I can get this done. Mm-hmm. Well, then the problem shifts back to us and we try to mm-hmm. figure out how to get it done. Yeah. And it's a team, it's a team effort. It's a team effort. Say. Yeah. It's a team effort. But yeah. I really find like that is the kind of freedom and autonomy I want yeah. as a leader. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's my Enneagram 8, but I've always wanted that. I've always operated with that. And so I can't expect it as the senior leader and not give it to my mm, team. That's good. Yeah, Is that fair? Really good. Yes. Yeah. That's good. How about you, Dylan? Well, this, this kind of plays into the, the course. Um, well, on the freedom and autonomy note of where you talk about how people our age could just go and start our own business. I mean, Sarah, um, your husband and you both design on the side. And uh, like, Justin can go start his own design firm. I've seen his stuff. If you go to carrynewoff.com, you can see his design work. Mm-hmm. He's awesome, but he chooses to work inside of a company because he loves what they do. Yes. And that's Connexus. Yes. Um, so uh, like, 
not only is it, well, I'm an entrepreneur because I, w- I don't want to have a boss over me, but now you've given us the freedom where everyone doesn't have like, they have the same freedom with their time. So I think that's pretty huge where like we have options. We have Fiverr, we have our parents' basement, as I said earlier. (laughs) (laughs) So like we don't have to be tied down by anything. Um, So we probably will choose not to, unless like my girlfriend is in the medical field and there they're still pretty strict um, on that kind of stuff. But yeah, but for the kind of stuff we do, right? That's the thing is you have options. And I know both of you can go figure something out overnight on your own, but we have to create the kind of workplace and the kind of mission that is so big that you're like, no, I want to be associated with this, Mm -hmm. which is such a big shift. We're moving from a need to, to a want to Mm -hmm. as the carrot Mm -hmm. for employees. Yeah. Wow. Well, any other advice for leaders who might be struggling with these concepts, what I've found is the kind of conversation we're having today, generally speaking, because I've given talks on this, resonates very deeply with millennials and Gen Z and frustrates the heck out of Generation X and especially boomers who are yeah. like, what is wrong with this generation? Yeah. <laughs> How can you possibly demand all this? You should just sit there, work at your desk, shut up and collect your paycheck, right? Not quite, but that, that, that is some of the mindset that's out there and nobody can figure out why young leaders keep walking, which is why we're having this conversation and why we design the high impact workplace. So any final words to anybody talk to someone my age or older who's struggling with this. I would say don't underestimate replacing suspicion and misunderstanding with care and coaching Mm. that's easily underestimated and you know, five minutes of curiosity and caring conversation can diffuse a situation, Yeah. you know? So if there's misunderstanding or you think somebody's dropped the ball and you just, you know, charge ahead with that in mind without asking questions, trying to coach and care for the person, it can be, it can be a mess. But if you care about somebody and you're coaching them, that is probably why I've stayed around for 10 years, mm. you know, because we've had rocky moments and, oh, yeah. you know, and misunderstandings and that kind of thing. we talk about that in the course. We do an interview, a video interview with you guys in the course where we talk about some of the rougher moments. Yeah, but at the end of the day, I know that you care about me Mm -hmm. and you're in my corner and you're coaching me. So yeah, so don't underestimate that is what I would say to older leaders. Mm -hmm. Dylan, any final word to anyone who's struggling with sort of the new rules for the new workplace? I think we're gonna have to, at every leader, I don't think it's gonna be optional anymore to have good conflict management skills that you use a lot. Like, cause I think every, um, I'll say pastors cause my background is pastoral, but every pastor can go and open up Matthew 18 and go, well, you need to go to them and you need to go to the, like a with one other person next, but you need to like, we as a church need to be able to have conflict every day in a healthy way. And I think we just were so avoidant of that. And I think that's why there's so many small churches. I think that's why there's so many dying churches because nobody wants to talk about the one worship leader that just can't sing, but is still singing and (laughs) driving people away. Correct. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think we need another level of um, healthy conflict management. And we talk about that in the course a lot. So. Also in the course, we uh, give young leaders a script for how to negotiate more freedom and autonomy. Any word for young leaders that you want to encourage them with or anything you want to tell somebody your age? Stay humble. Mm. Don't, don't expect it just because it's, you know, 
it's our culture as younger leaders. Don't act like it's coming to you. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dylan? I've grown a really healthy distrust for what I've learned um, as a structural like outlines in the school system. So mm. I would say um, the marketplace in school is more like a, there's a bigger difference than you expect. So be ready for that. Um, <laughs> college is not going to solve all your problems. Getting a four year degree doesn't solve anything. Um, so you still got to earn it. You still got to go and you got to f- make your own opportunities. Um, so I, I think have a healthy distrust for um, what you've always accepted as normal and uh, just be working harder than you think you should be because we have to like we have to keep our heads down, especially being 20 year olds. We have zero skills, but a lot of but a lot well, of you have potential. a few. Dylan. Come on. <laughs> yeah. 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 OK. Um, yeah. No. Yeah, that, no, you really do. You really do. And I, this is the great privilege is I get to work with some incredibly gifted people, uh, incredibly talented people and people with deep character. And it is a joy to be able to do this with you. We've scaled some incredible growth. Uh, it's gone to places we never thought it would go. And we get to do this together, which is so much fun. Mm-hmm. So guys, uh, listen, I feel like we talked for another hour or two. <laughs> really, I had all these questions I didn't get to, but this was really, really good. So uh, right now, if you're listening to this episode in real time, you can go to thehighimpactworkplace.com and we would love to be able to serve you inside that. That's a brand new online on-demand course on why eight to four doesn't work anymore and uh, how to attract and keep high capacity leaders, particularly young leaders. And uh, Mm -hmm. I want to show you how the future workplace is really the flexible workplace. And I think you guys have illustrated that incredibly well today. Grateful for both of you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Man, I just have uh, so much affection for Dylan and Sarah. And I'm so grateful for them, man, to be able to work with such great leaders. And I know that's a challenge for a lot of people. And that's why we put together the High Impact Workplace course. So it is open. It opened yesterday. If you're listening live, it is open for just another week at current pricing. So head on over to thehighimpactworkplace.com if you want more information. And I would love to get you in on the course. I will show you how to create the kind of workplace environment where every generation thrives, uh, what you can do when you have young leaders who want flexibility, how to be fair to leaders who are saying, no, 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 I want to work eight to four in the office, and how to create the kind of culture that is going to make your organization thrive. That's all at thehighimpactworkplace.com. You can go check it out and registration is open, well, for a very limited time. And this pricing, well, it's gone too real soon. So I hope you can check that out. And if you haven't yet checked out the Red Letter Challenge, make sure you do that. Head on over to redletterchallenge.com forward slash carry. So just redletterchallenge.com forward slash carry and get in on what over 60,000 people are raving about already. Guys, we are back next week with a fresh episode, and I am so excited to bring you John Ortberg. John and I got together in California, and uh, this is a little bit of a flip the mic, but we got a lot of John in there as well. So here's an excerpt from uh, my conversation with John Ortberg, which will be the next episode in just a couple of days. While she was doing that, she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. So this second book, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I Have Loved, is kind of a memoir account of her journey. And she is still being kept alive 
from six months to six months with some very radical and innovative immunotherapy. Uh, she's just written another book that looks at women in the evangelical church world, particularly pastors' wives, and how often those are the only women that have access to much impact or being known. And she writes about how uh, they kind of have to have a tragic story or a number of them to become famous. And she actually asks one of them, I'm not making this up, uh, she asked her, how many major traumas do you think you will need to be successful? And without batting an eyelash, the woman said four. Subscribers, you get this automatically because it just comes to your podcast. And you've heard me say this before, but it's so true. I only listen to podcasts I subscribe to. So if you're listening for the first time, you haven't subscribed yet, just do it for free wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Overcast, which is where I listen these days. Uh, just hit subscribe and then uh, you'll get these episodes automatically. Also, um, hey, we got an Ask Carrie segment. So uh, I didn't mention it at the beginning, but those of you who listen to the end know that that's what we do. So Corey from Colorado says, what do you do when you're perpetually too tired or don't want to spend time with God? Ha ha. I want to, I want to spend time with God, but the desire is just not there right now. Corey, I have been there. Um, even as a pastor, I have been there. So I have a couple of disciplines in my life. Number one, I decided to flip my time with God, my devotion time to the morning. I used to do it at night. And what would happen is I would be praying and I would fall asleep. Uh, I would wake up eight hours later after the longest prayer in the world and say amen and feel very spiritual, but have slept through all of my devotions. So that was a really bad idea. So even though you know I'm a morning person now, and even though I want to be so productive in the morning, I've given the first hour to God. Now, sometimes it's 15 minutes, sometimes it's 10 minutes, sometimes it's half hour, but I would say quite regularly, it's a half hour to 45 minutes. So I give that first window to him. And uh, I did that change years ago. It made a big difference. And I think God gives you that time back in spades. There is a quote from Martin Luther that goes something like this. I have so much to do today. I don't know how to handle it. I can't imagine not starting with three hours of prayer. Now, I am not at three hours of prayer, okay? I'm just, but like, there's, a, there's an inverse logic to that that I think is really compelling. So try moving, and if you're not a morning person, move your devotion time to the time where you are most alert and most awake. You'll be tempted to use that for other things. Don't give it to God, see what happens. Secondly, you also said, what if you don't want to spend time with God? You know what? Almost everything that's good for me, I don't want to do. I want to eat dessert, not vegetables. I want to not work out and lie on the couch rather than work out. I want to not write, but I got to finish this manuscript. Like, it's it's the weirdest thing. And I, th I think on this side of heaven, we rarely want to do the things we should do. And I mean, look at it. You just, you just look at what we're struggling with, the health concerns that come from lack of exercise or poor diet or obesity or you know, financial decisions that land people in ruin seem good in the moment, but long-term it was a bad strategy. So I think that's just normal human behavior. Uh, so here's what I've done. I've done two things. Number one, years ago, like literally over 20 years ago, I adopted uh, the Bible in one year because uh, I would cheat sometimes. And instead of reading, you know, a personal scripture that would speak to me as a human being, I would just like, work ahead on my message and pretend that that was my devotion time. No, not good. So I bought a one-year Bible and I opened it to the date. Today, when I'm recording this, 
you know, I just opened it up and there it is. Now, you know, you just look at, I'm, I'm recording this on November 15th. So November 15th, open it up. There's the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Psalm, the Proverb, boom, done. So it, it takes all the guesswork away and then I know whether I did it or not. Now, what's been really cool in the last five years is I've used version, And so I do the Bible in one year. I'll link to that in the show notes. The Bible in one year. And uh, I just open up, I use my iPad in the morning. I open up my iPad, I read the devotion and then I go through the... Uh, the scriptures, and then it gives me a little check mark and tells me I'm on a streak where I've read the Bible, you know, 382 days in a row or whatever it happens to be. So I get a little bit addicted to that. So, um, yeah, it's one of those things where I think, you know, you just do it whether you want to or not. And it's kind of, I know this is a bad analogy, but it's a little bit like saving money. If you put, you know, that $10 aside every week, whether you want to or not, at first it seems like nothing. But give yourself a year and you got, oh, I got something in the bank. And then, you know, give yourself a decade and you're like, whoa, I got a lot in the bank. And give yourself a lifetime and you're like, okay, we don't have a lot of worries here. And I think it builds up over time. And I have found that I am reaping the benefits of reading the Bible and praying and a spiritual investment um, years down the road for moments where I just didn't feel like it either. So I hope that encourages you, Corey. And thank you so much for the honesty and the transparency. Guys, we're back in a few days with a fresh episode. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you check out the highimpactworkplace.com while the course is open. I am so pumped to bring this to people. So whether you're a young leader, you're trying to build a team, you're an older leader, you're trying to figure out how to attract how to attract and keep high capacity leaders, I think you'll find something there for you, the highimpactworkplace.com. And in the meantime, I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.